Okay. Hi, everybody. Oh, my goodness gracious. I am so happy to be here. This is Thriving School Community Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. We have Dr. Joe Sanfilippo. And listen, Joe, I'm so grateful that you made it here. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Tetra. I appreciate the time. Well, listen, you know that uh, when we talk about mental health, we can get really down and mm -hmm. dark and, and negative and a lot of things can go around this. But I would love to first talk about some of the stuff that you're doing in other arenas because your energy is amazing. I think you can take mm -hmm. any topic and make it exciting. And so that's why I'm excited to have you on here to yeah. talk about mental health in a very positive light because you provide a lot of hope for people. So tell me why with your position as a superintendent right now with the Fall Creek School District, I know you're in Wisconsin, mm -hmm. tell me why your message is so important about giving people hope right now. Mm -hmm. I think the first thing is that if, if we're if we're looking for other people to kind of, you know, wind down that road with us or take us on that trip, then we're going to be waiting for a long time. So one of the things that we try to do is control what we can control here. And the narrative about what goes on in schools is, well, it's simply wrong. And so the question becomes, how are we are we willing to talk to people about the work that's happening? And then therefore, in that situation, provide some momentum for the people who actually do the work and. I think it's the the thing that we need to be very clear about is it's it's certainly not it's it's not my work. It's never been my work. It's our work that we do collectively in a way that actually makes people feel like there's part of something bigger than themselves. And so if we can get people to that place where they come to school every day, knowing and understanding that the work that they do has value, then they're more likely to come the next day feeling that they have an impact on the group that they serve. And I think it it kind of came back to the idea that I try to keep in mind is that everybody that we serve in this organization, it, it lives in a occupation where you don't get the immediate gratification for the impact that you have, right? You think about how many times kids come back to see teachers 10 years, 15 years, 20 years from when they had them. And they say, man, you were a really good teacher. I loved having you as a teacher. You were a really great teacher. And what you want to say is, you know, you could have said something like you were, you were never absent. Like you could have said something when you were here, but nobody says anything. Yeah. And then they, and then we're left to wonder if we have an impact because you see growth at the end of the year, but you don't see that incremental growth on a daily basis for the kids that you serve. And sometimes it's a smile or a hug or a, you know, when they get something that they, they didn't, you didn't know what they were going to get, like whatever it is. But if we can help people come back to that, then it gives them a better chance the next day. And it's not just like, I hear so many people just kind of getting back to, you know, remember your why. And I, I get that. I get that. But the why isn't helping me when nine people are at my table, pulling on my pant leg, looking for a snack, man. Like, so what can we do to help each other get through some of that stuff so we don't feel like we're isolated and alone in the work? And that's kind of what we're trying to do here. Well, that's a big deal because I call those people my dream team. So I was in high school for 18. I didn't take high school for 18 years. That's a couple of victory laps, Charlie. I'm telling you right boy. there, man. Boy, it's like an Adam Sandler movie all over again. <laughs> uh, well, when I taught high school for 18 years, um, you know, one of the things that I noticed is that I, I taught myself to look for that in kids. Yeah. And I, because I had, I had so many experiences around that, but what happened a lot was those kids would graduate and come back and apologize. Yeah. And so early in my career, when that was happening, I'm like, oh, you know what? Let me just look for those 
those little pieces of growth along the way. And it does, it shifts your complete, it, like your whole mindset. But there are those days where it is, it's hard to, to get through the day for all of those reasons you mentioned. So that dream team, you talk a lot about connection. You've written a couple mm-hmm. books about this. I know you, you're all over the place talking about this. Why in the world, Joe, is connection so deeply important, but so many people have a hard time doing it? So I think the that's a really great question. And I think that the reason that they don't is because they don't believe that their story has value. Because I think if you're if you know your story has value, you're willing to talk about it and connect. And if you don't feel like the work that you do has value, you hide and you isolate and you just make sure that nobody asks you questions about it. And so the way that I equate it is this. So if I'm talking to a group of people and I tell them to get their phones out and take a look at and find a picture in their phone that means something to them and then they share that picture and they have a conversation, they are more than willing to have that conversation. Like I can, you know, I can tell people, you know, what they're proud of. I can tell what you're proud of in a heartbeat, right? You look at your phone and look at your photos app. You got kids, pet, house, car, hunt, fish, cabin, boat. It's all on your phone. And when you tell stories about that stuff, then you feel you walk out of that conversation feeling better than when you walked in, which means you're willing to have that conversation again. If you don't feel good about the work that you're doing, you start to question what it is, why it is, how you're doing it, and you start to get nervous about the response for that work. And think about how many times people go next door and have a conversation with a colleague about uh, something that they're upset about, something that they need to complain about, you know, that they're a logistical thing that's coming up, or, you know, where are they going to find time for certain things versus... How often do you see somebody go next door and say, I just taught this really great lesson and the kids were awesome and they nailed it. We don't do that because we're afraid of what the response is. Not the res- that, not that the response is going to be, well, that's not really a big deal. We all do that. That, that. Like that's not the response. The response is, where did you find the time for that? The response is, well, don't tell anybody about that because if you do that, then I'm going to have to do that. And I don't want to do that. So don't do that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Or they just don't. And the reason that they feel that way is because nobody's valued the work that they're currently doing. So they don't want to change it because people aren't valuing it. So if we make the connection to people with the work that they do, there's a better chance for them to talk about the work that they do and therefore better connections along the way. So we're all moving forward together in the same situation. Yeah. And it's crucial. It's absolutely crucial. If we're talking about having a future vision for mm-hmm. mental health in our schools and it, and actually having success and long-term sustainability, it has to start with that. And I do believe that there's a lot of people, even principals I've worked with have said to me, well, I'm introverted. That stuff doesn't work for me. And I said, okay, uh, that has to work for you. Yeah. You've got to find a way. So what right. do you say to the leaders that you work with who do push back about that connection piece? Oh, I just tell them that, you know, you're making a choice at that point. And I, I can, I, I, what I tell them is, is this, I, I can only make, when I work with you, I'll make you two promises. I make you one promise of two things, one promise. And that's it. I'll, the only promise that I will make you is that you could tell a story about your leadership or your school your district, your classroom, your team, your club, whatever. You can tell a story every day from today until the day that you retire, or you can tell none. And either way, you're going to be judged. So if I'm going to be judged based on something that's going on, I want them to judge me on the work that we're actually doing. 
as opposed to the work that they think that we might be doing. So I tell them, like, you can be introverted all you want. That does not preclude you. That does not preclude you from celebrating the great work that's happening around you. Just because you're introverted and you don't want to talk about the stuff that's going on with you does not stop you from bragging on a colleague. It just doesn't. And it doesn't have to be something. If you're introverted and you don't want to be in a big group, okay, fine. It's funny because I find myself in situations where I love being on a stage. I love being connected to large groups. But you get me outside of that, mm, give me my time alone in a car, in an office, whatever the case may be, because I'm just not like I, I avoid large groups like that. So I know the idea. The idea is I just kind of, you know, veer in a different direction. That doesn't stop me from sending a text message or an email or making a call. Uh, just to make sure that people feel valued. So I would say that you're going to, you're going to be, and I, I don't love that you, that people judge. Uh, I don't love that at all, but that's not going to change tomorrow. So if I'm going to get judged based on what's going on in Fall Creek, I want to make sure that people judge me on the actual things that are happening here. And that builds up social capital. If you, if, if you build all this social capital with all the positive stuff that's going on, then when something negative does happen, which it will, it always does then you've built up enough social capital to take the hit on what that looks like. Mm, that's so important. Okay, because you said you said before that, um, I know you've, I've heard you talk about knowing your people and why that is mm -hmm. so very important. Can So that, that leads me to that question. Why is knowing your people so important and how do you do that? Well, the first thing you have to understand, I, from a leadership perspective, the first thing that I have to understand is if if the farther that I get from the classroom, the harder it is for me to make suggestions about what should happen in that space because the less credibility I have for what that looks like. It's the same thing. I mean, for everything from a leadership perspective, whatever the case may be. So I think being in those spaces is really important. And for me, it's a little bit different because from the superintendent lens, I want to be in the places where my principals are because I want to make sure that my principals feel like they're supported. And if I'm in classrooms more than my principals are, then it's not the best look either. So I want them to be in classrooms all the time because I want them to have the credit for the work that they do. That doesn't mean I'm not going to push them to be in those spots, but I kind of do things from kind of like, you know, around the back door on that just to make sure that they get the credit for the work. Anyway, so the connections that I make are typically in uh, hallways and, um, you know, in lunchrooms or in, you know, after school, before or after school, just in conversation. And I think it's important that that leaders find ways to, you know, Make sure that you meet people where they are, not where it's convenient for you to be. An example for me would be like, if it's really easy for me to walk out of my office at 9.15 and take a walk through all three schools just to see what's going on, I'm seeing the same thing from 9.15 to 10 o'clock every day, and I'm talking to the same people. And even though those people may feel like I'm really connected to them, you know, the vast majority of the staff is not. So if you figure out what your day looks like to make sure that you can make connections to the right people at the right times, then you develop social capital along the way because you can't be in every space every day. So I think just structuring your day in a way that allows you to be in spaces that are, uh, and I chart them. I chart when I'm in different spots just to make sure, because sometimes I just get emotional and I talk and whatever. And the next thing I know, my time is done. And so I'm thinking, okay, so now I got a chart that I was hanging out in the elementary FIED, you know, area for 20 minutes when I could have used that time in the high school ag room or whatever. And I just charted to make sure that the next day I'm in the high school ag room. Got it. Yeah. That's really neat that you say that it, it is those conversations. I mean, it, and it's how you have those conversations mm -hmm. because we've all had leaders that 
They're trying to tick the box that, okay, I went and I spoke to this staff member. I went and I did it. But you have to have a craft to making that connection. And it really is about being genuine. So you can tell someone like you, Joe, that you're trying to truly make that connection because it betters what their role is and it betters the kid ultimately because it it trickles down, right? And so um, part of part of what I heard you also say is about like around COVID and that we don't have to go backwards in time, trust me. Mm-hmm. But what I loved that you said is that there were two different leaders. This was the gist. And each of them responded to a problem, right? Or or the way that they handled something, like how they supported their, their students. Mm-hmm. And you said both of them were right and they were very different approaches. So can you explain what you meant by that? I, I think what ended up, happening with COVID for us is, I think, and I think across the country is COVID revealed two things. And it revealed one, how well do you know your kids? And two, what are you willing to do for them when they're not here? And so it goes to staff too. How well do you know your staff? And what are you going to do for them when they're not here? And when we realized that, you know, you know, uh, when everybody was isolated and alone in their space, we really had to think about how we were making the connections with the people that we serve. And in doing that, we had to think about what those, what that looked like along the way. So, so for example, if, if I didn't know that our staff members needed, you know, uh, uh, connectivity hotspots or whatever like that, we lost multiple days on getting them connected to kids, which then eventually lost out on multiple days with kids. If I didn't know that kids needed connection, if I didn't know that kids needed material, if I didn't know that kids needed food, then that left a gap into how we could service and help with our students and our staff members. So just knowing them, we knew very, it was it was really interesting because um, there were a ton of our kids that we knew really, really well, a ton of our staff members that we knew really, really well, but there were some that we did not. And that really exposed that knowledge gap. And it was really great for us to be really honest because now now that we're back, the connections that we made had a tremendous impact when we came back because of what we were willing to do for our staff and for our kids to make sure that they knew that we that we cared about them. You couldn't do it wrong if you were if your heart was in the right place. The only way to do COVID wrong was to go back to exactly the way that you did things before when you came back after it was done. It's the only way that you can do wrong because it means you learn nothing about how to deliver content, how to connect with kids, knowing and understanding that we specifically uh, from the middle to high school lens teach tremendously too much content without hesitation. So how do we make sure that we teach what's essential so we're not overwhelming the people who are trying to get as much as they can out to the people that they care about. Yeah, that you bring up a good point because one of the problem, well, a huge problem right now, of course, is people being overloaded. And that, of course, is the people working in our classrooms. And so yeah. that shows up in a lot of different different ways. We immediately think of teachers, but it, it's so much more than, than teachers. But there, there's so much negativity around the workload. And one of the things that I love that you said is we've got to actually alleviate that work load for them. And so when you're talking about delivering too much content, how in the world do you give them permission to do that when they feel like they have so much to cover? How do you deal with that? Well, 
it kind of is twofold, Charlie, honestly, because I can like be a magician. I could like do a dance. I could like, like use pyrotechnics. I could do I, whatever. I could do all of that stuff and tell people that they're t teaching too much. And yet they still want to continue to teach what they're teaching the way that they're teaching. it. So I think we can give them as much grace. We can give them as much uh, autonomy. We can give them as much permission, if you will, uh, to to reduce that content load, but they have to be willing to do it. And I think sometimes we're notorious for collecting and collecting and collecting and then thinking that everything is the most important thing ever. And then the new most important thing comes on, but the other thing is really important. So I got to get that done too. And then we overwhelm ourselves because we keep piling on a plate that's already full. So we what we try to do with our staff is tell them, if, you, I, if somebody brings me an idea and we think the idea is really good and I'm like, you know, and I'll say, well, that's going to add to your plate. You understand that, right? Yep. No problem. It's going to be, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. I'm going to be able to do it. No problem. I'm like, okay, so I understand that, but you need to tell me that if it does get overwhelming and you still love to do it, what are you going to eliminate? I want to know right now, what are you going to eliminate? What piece of what you're doing right now are you taking off? So when you do get overwhelmed and I come and talk to you about that, I can say to you, you said you were going to eliminate this piece. Have you eliminated that piece? And if you haven't, we're going to eliminate that piece because you said you were able to do that. Otherwise, if you want to try something new, I'm probably not going to let you. So that's where the permission comes. I'll just say, you know what? I'm sorry. Yeah. You just can't do it. So well, you're preventing, right? You're yeah, preventing yeah. the big problems from happening in the first place. We're trying Absolutely. Yeah. And that's huge, Joe, because now let's let's think of the future here, because I do. I really want to pull your wisdom into the future of education and mm -hmm. improving the mental health system, because I know you do have a, a really strong background. A lot of people who are listening, they don't realize that you have a couple books out, like I mentioned earlier. But, you know, you have awards. You've been the super national superintendent of the year in 2019, just before COVID. So you were positioned very well. And so that's why I'm kind of, I kind of want you to think about what is the dream mental health system. And when I, when I pose this, a lot of leaders who are superintendents or district level have a lot of the same thoughts around that. And it's not about one system. It's not about the mm -hmm. entirety of the working system. So I would love your, I know there's a lot there, but if you had a dream mental health system and you knew people within that system were thriving well, what would that look like? And what would you have to do to establish that? Yeah, that is, that's a loaded question, so but I loaded. think what I think, I think what do we, what we need to do is the first thing that we have to do is control. What we can control. I think we spend so much time thinking about what things look like at the national level and at the global level. And we're like, well, all this stuff is happening in New York. What happens when it comes to Wisconsin? Well, okay, it's not coming tomorrow. So let's control what we can control. And let's figure out ways that we can move things forward without feeling like we're overwhelmed in the system. And if you have leaders that are, uh, you know, uh, you know, just forward thinking enough to understand that there might be things coming down the pike that we can eliminate for our people before it gets here, it puts us in a much better situation. So I, I think that I start at the local level. Okay, so if the state of Wisconsin said, well, here's an example. So in 2010 or 11, 11, the state of Wisconsin decided that, okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to change the entire teacher evaluation model. 
We don't know what it's going to look like yet, but we're going to change it. It's going to change. It's going to change. So just want to let you know it's going to change. So don't, you know, it's it's coming, blah, 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 the whole thing. And they talked about things that they would be doing and thinking that they could be doing. And I thought, man, I would, I, I'm, I wasn't real jazzed about it, to be really honest. So what I thought was, what if we created our own? And what if we create our own and then send it to the state before they approve anything and get it approved? And then after we have it approved, now I can take some pressure off our people because I can tell them that we already have it approved. It's fine. Don't worry about it. We're good. And they and so we built a professional growth model uh, uh, process that our teachers built. We had six teachers that created what it looked like for all of our staff. We put it together. We I, I sent it to the state. I said we're looking. We just want to make sure we're trying to we're trying to get out in front of it. We're trying to be you know we're we want to be a a, a leader. The whole thing, right? right but right. I was real. What I was really was doing was like let's just do what we want and just get it approved. <laughs> so yeah. we got it approved, and uh, and they loved it, and it actually became uh, one of the models that they use at the state level for how we should do PD in in school, and it was created by six teachers. So we got out in front of it by saying, we're not going to wait for somebody to tell us what to do. We're going to create something, get it approved that fits what we want, what our people want, and then move from forward. And, and our, our professional growth model, we ask every year, every year we ask one question in a survey, does this model make you, do? I'm sorry, do you believe that this model makes you a better teacher? And in the nine, 10 years that we've been doing it, it's never gone below 94% yes. Not once. Wow, that so, is and, a substantial number. And so if you have 94%, 94% of your staff that feels good about what you're doing to grow as a teacher. Wow. You're winning all day. Yeah, and I don't even we can't even look at that 6% because there's so many factors there. Oh my goodness. Right. And it's created by teachers. And that's the key too, right? Their voice yeah. has to be pulled into this kind of thing. This this modeling Absolutely. and this um, any kind of directive, it sounds like, and if it directly affects them. So, and I know we could go, we could dive so deep into this and I won't do that to you because I know you have a lot to do. So let's, let's, um, I, I do want to talk about the the work that you're doing outside of this, but let's, before that, what is the one thing then that you think is the most important piece to move forward? If we're looking down the road in 10 years, we need a thriving mental health system. What is the one thing that principals or le district leaders can do right now to start that up? Oh, that one's easy. I should answer that one first. That one's totally easy. Like I can tell you how to do that today and you'll feel better tomorrow without question. Because everywhere I go and they do it, they're like, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe we didn't even think about that. And it's the most, it's the easiest thing to do, but it's also one of the hardest things to make sure that you you stay uh, in front of. And so we started talking to our staff about this a long time ago. Um, and it's ironic that it's teacher appreciation. We can actually brought it up again this week with our staff because we do it better than anybody that I've ever been around. And all places I go from all over the country, we do it better than anybody that I've ever seen. And that is, what are we doing to recognize the greatness of colleagues acknowledge the greatness of colleagues and extend the greatness of colleagues. Okay. And of colleagues is the most important because it's hard to take care of kids when we're not taking care of the adults, taking care of the kids. So what are you doing to put yourself in the right mindset to recognize the greatness of the people that you work with? And then you acknowledge to that person that they're great. And so now a lot of us do that. A lot of us will see a teacher doing great things. They recognize that it's great work and they acknowledge that person that it's great work, but then they don't do the third thing. And the third thing to me is the most important. How do you extend the conversation to somebody who wasn't there so that person knows and understands the great work that's happening 
in a place that they don't get a chance to see every day. So if I see an eighth grade science teacher and they're having, we're having a conversation, it happens to me all the time. So I'm sitting in the in a hallway and I see, and I'm having a conversation with middle school kids as they're coming through. And as I'm talking to middle school kids, teachers will come up and just have quick conversations. And in almost every conversation, it's about something that's going on, but then they also celebrate something that one of their colleagues is doing. And honestly, they're not dumb. They know what I'm going to do. They know I'm going to go to that colleague and tell that colleague that I heard about them, right? right they know right. that I'm going to talk I'm going to talk to that colleague's spouse. They know that I'm going to call that colleague's parent. They know that I'm going to find that colleague's kid and tell them about how great their mom is. Like they know this. So when we live in a world where we always recognize work, acknowledge great, great work and extend great work, then it makes everybody feel better about doing the great work. And it costs you zero dollars. And if you recognize, acknowledge, and extend two stories a day, 10 stories a week, you're talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories a year in schools. And that's just me. That's only me. If I do two of them a day, if I do two a day, and we have 175 days, right? That's 350 wow. stories a year that I'm telling across the board. And that's one person. We have a hundred staff members. I mean, think about that. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy so, numbers over the top of how many great stories can be extended, but we don't do it because we walk. Think about how many things we walk past in a hallway at our school to get to the next thing that's on our list, right? And if we're bound by that list to get stuff done, we miss out on the great stuff that's happening all around us. And it's cool. See, the other, I'm sorry, I'm getting cranked up. But the, the other thing is that when it comes down to this, the thing is, it's great to see the stuff that's going on around you for the great stuff that's going on. But let's be honest, I need that too. I mean, I need that too. I need to see kids. I need to see adults working with kids because when I get back to my office and I'm working on policy design, or I'm working on a lawsuit, or I'm working on some parent complaint, well, that stuff gets to be a lot. So if I don't see some of the great stuff, then I'm bound to look at the policy manual for hours a day, and nobody wants to do that. Hmm. So we got to find joy in the work. And sometimes that's being overt in finding the joy in the work. I love it because we have to make it intentional. And you actually wrote a book called Lead From Where You Are, giving people this, this message. It's incredible. So talk to people about that and where they can get it, because we have to have this culture of change. We have to use that leadership to build the community that you're talking about. So talk to people about that book. It's important. I think, well, the, yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. The book is really sure. born out of all these little, I used to, I do these little walk to work videos and I've been doing them for the last couple of years. And right now there's almost a hundred of them. So I'm hoping by, by the time the summer hits, I'll, I'll have a hundred uh, just little one minute walk to work videos. And so that's where the book came from because I'm not a writer, but at the same time, I just like throw a bunch of ideas together and see if they stick. And so this one, I just took all of those ideas from the book, from the walks, and it just naturally progressed into a book in terms of, you know, why we do what we do, you know, why we do the work, what the work is, and how do we make sure that it moves forward together? So I think a lot of us are in situations where when we feel like we're just, you know, where I'm just a teacher, I'm just a paraprofessional, I'm just a custodian, I'm just a an AP, whatever the case may be. When you say that you're just, or when you say that you're only, you devalue all of your work. 
But not only do you devalue your work, you give the person that you're talking to license to do exactly the same. And so one of the things that was really important in the book was making sure that you know and understand that the work that you do has value, but also how can you put it out in a position, in a place where other people know about what that work really looks like so you don't feel like you're isolated and alone in doing the work. So if you can lead with intention, if you can lead with connection and you can lead with direction in the areas of why, what, and how, now we can move people forward in a way that's not just floating. We want people. We want people that have, um, you know, like a process, a framework that allows them to go forward. So I mean, you can find the book wherever. If you go to leadfromwhereyouarebook.com, you can actually you can order it there, and I'll sign it and send it. But all the resources are there too, or you can get it on Amazon too. That's awesome. And if they want to connect with you to ask any questions, can they do that? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, honestly, when it comes down to it, you know, by, like my phone number is 715-577-6623. Give me a call. I mean, honestly, there's no, like, just call me. I mean, really shoot me a text, ask me a question. Like it's all right there. I'm, I'm not, we're not hiding anything. And at the end of all those videos, I say, we're all in this thing together. I say it for every video, every video I've done, I've said it for every single one. We're all in this thing together. And that doesn't mean we're all in this thing together when it's convenient to be all in this thing together. So if you have a question, just give me a call. We'll try to figure it out. Or we're connected to enough people where we can get you uh, to the right place. Right. I love that too. That's a big deal too. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. Truly. I appreciate it. And everybody, please go look up all of this wonderful things going on that Joe's doing because you're speaking, you're, you've got the book, but you're, you're right. You're so active and people just need to hear more of you and your message. Mm -hmm. So thank you for being here. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Go crickets. <laughs>